Welcome to episode 96 of Running Matters. Nearly at a century, mate. Hello. Looking forward to raising the bat. Yeah. Imagine what we could do. <laughs> 100th episode. Yeah. You could get Woo. people online. Yeah. 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 Uh, our special guest today is Jordan Anderson. How are you, Jordan? Very well. How are you, Matty? Couldn't be better, mate. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank our partners, Goo Energy, Renala, Gaimi Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, Precision Hydration, Fractal Performance Headwear. Did you get your new kit? I brought it with me. Yeah. I'm going to chuck on the new beanie for the interview, actually. Nice one. It's very exciting. It performs its job admirably, in mm, fact. Nice blue. It covers up the COVID haircut, which is shithouse. And, uh, uh, how do you took the words out of my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> It keeps the car doors nicely snug in there too. So thanks, Fractal. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, we've got Raid Light, Rafferty's Coastal Run, and, of course, our new partner, Cronulla Beer Co. I can see, Jordan, you're enjoying a Cronulla Beer Co. at the other end. How is yeah. the XBA? Uh, uh, what is it? No, j- just a just a pale ale. Um, and and I think this is a small batch. I think they, they only made four, didn't they? And <laughs> I, I got all of them. It's incredible. <laughs> they are. They, they're looking after you. Good, good, <laughs> goodies a champion. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, okay, so mate, thanks for for joining in and uh, joining us for a chat today. Um, how's that? Look, how's your training going? There's not much going on with the, with the calendar. Yeah, I um, I've been enjoying it, and and it's worked out in my favor. Uh, I was pretty sick at the end of 2020 and beginning of uh 2021 uh, my gp chalked it up to probably glandular fever and post flu fatigue so i just didn't do anything um for five months mm. um and so just the past few months i've just been really enjoying like doing anything you know i kind of have a brief or a broad plan and then i just get out and run um and kind of go fast when i want to and go long when i want to so oh it's just been fantastic and my body's been getting back into shape so hopefully we'll be back on track for some pbs in 2022 how are you guys how's how's the running patty i've been seeing you've been putting up massive case oh mate nothing compared to the wolf sitting next to me i just uh yeah it's it's big for me though getting to the track once a week it's unreal loving it (laughs) no races on the agenda no pressure yeah it's good yeah I've um, seen you popping around a few Ks with the with the pram and the bike and stuff like that, mate. You're uh, yeah, how's how's the extra weight training going? Uh yeah, it's another dimension. Those running prams are fantastic, but my son he's he's putting on the kilos, about 13 kilos now. And so it's you're right, it's it's a strength session getting them around. But now my uh, my wife Bree, she, you know, the <clears throat> three of us plus our dog, we get out for family runs, uh, like basically every weekend and Oh, just loving it it's wonderful um these are kind of things i keep saying they don't tell you when you become a dad that you can really enjoy and so yeah yeah in addition to the strength adi- um training it gives you it's it's been great yeah absolutely. Yeah. and no excuses you don't have to sneak out behind your wife's back for a run anymore it's perfect <laughs> well that's the thing now that she's getting back into running shape um whenever i strap my shoes on she's like oh just get the pram out of the garage and <laughs> so not yeah it's good she's um you know we're keeping each other honest and we get to go and do a few fun sessions so it's good 
That's good. And how's your um, how's the coaching going? Yeah, real, real backbone, a real down low. Um, so I really just shaved down to working with the young athletes. Um, and so I've only got a handful on a kind of monthly program and we check in via Zoom um, and just challenge them in different ways. And so, uh, you know, instead of really focusing on just cross country season or, you know, prepping for track, it kind of pivoted and just I've been throwing a few hey, go out and do a trail run and whatever you get an incline, just push it a little bit and just see how your body feels. And just trying to get the kids to explore, you know, different types of running at this point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, numbers have dwindled and I'm fine with that. Give them an opportunity to, you know, spend time with family and not be stressed about structure runs twice a week. And so I think a natural break from COVID uh, you know, does the youth athletes some good. So yeah, just, just kind of cruising. Yeah, that's good, man. Are you setting some of these kids some uh, challenges in terms of time trials or are you sort of just taking the racing element out of it at this point? Yep, the latter. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I thought hard about it back in July because there was still a chance that we would be okay for, you know, September races and then they would have all schools. Um, <clears throat> but then combination of COVID turning that upside down, I just had a thought of, you know, well, what, what would these young athletes really benefit from? Would it be, you know, face on the ground, drive as hard as you can for a few weeks to quote unquote, uh, you know, move, move ahead or, or jump ahead of their other kids in their age group, you know, or like I said, experiencing something different in running. Um, and, and so I definitely went with that option of, give them ideas and so i think a handful of them we do one focused quality session a week we being i give it to them and you know they go off to the track uh but the rest of it is yeah hey go explore the royal national park um go do some fun different stuff find some single track and you know just get the feet moving in a different way than you're than you're used to so yeah good we might end up with some trail runners out of the group the transition to the trail yeah Mm. Yeah. Hey, uh, so you've been working on a new course, the level three uh, coaching course, trail and ultra marathon running. So this is a first for athletics, uh, New South Wales and ACT. Um, how did this come about? Yeah, last year during COVID, <clears throat> there was a big push to put uh, all the or as much coaching education online as possible, because as we all know, you know, people were still running and people were still asking over these level one and level two rec running coach coach courses so athletics australia um pulled myself and a few others in to go through that and at the same time we were revamping kind of course by course um just to update a few things and through that it was uh, feedback from myself and one of my colleagues uh, emory cook about uh different needs and wants that we've been hearing from candidates in level one, two, and three courses. Uh, and it was just been very clear that there's so many people who are into the ultra world. Um, and it's just, you know, building to a, a, an incredible capacity in Australia. And so these ideas were being floated. Uh, and then it was kind of came to a formal point where I said, hey, listen, 
what would it look like? And I said this to Athletics Australia, I said, what would it look like if I put together a day three, day four, level three course that would fit in well with the existing uh, coaching framework? Um, and again, there are, there are a handful of other people that we were all kind of talking about it uh, who are facilitators. Uh, and that's really where it was birthed from. And so we started formally on it after this year's athletics uh, national championships. And so kind of at the end of April, uh, and we've been steadily developing content, uh, consolidating things into modules, making decisions of you know what's online, what's face to face. So it's it's really coming together. Unreal, mate. Um, I mean, there's heaps of questions, there's heaps of stuff about the course. I, I guess, first of all, are we aiming this coaching at elite trail and ultra runners or are we talking mass participation sort of coaching? Where, where's it aimed? I'm going to give the uh, bad answer and say both. Um, next. Nah. <laughs> 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 we don't like fences. <laughs> no. Nah. Uh, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll up you one. Not a fence. <laughs> Very clear catch-all. And so these are conversations we have, uh, we've been having, uh, especially at the kind of conception of it all. And I was very clear that we do need to prepare our coaches to develop and and continue to develop high-performing athletes in this sphere. I mean, you look at how many incredible uh, results we've had domestically, but also uh, internationally over the past, you know, five years in the ultra world. Um, And so that's uh, been that is in the course. Uh, and then the other side of it is that just the reality that it is a mass participation uh, part of, of the sport of running. And so we are really talking or tra- equipping coaches with what they need for developing people to that high end and working with those elite runners. Uh, but also, you know, how do you get someone involved, uh, interested in trail running? And how did your chat with uh, James Constantine a few episodes ago, I thought was fantastic and really captured that. And, and Jimmy highlighted that, you know, cross country weekend club runs and then, you know, NARA for, for state and all that. It's a fantastic just introduction into this is something a little bit different. And then, you know, all of us crazies who love the trails are thinking, well, what if I could push the envelope that much more? And so the course is really designed to, to, like I said, equip coaches with the skills and tools required to, to foster more people to, to come over to the trail and, and the longer crazy stuff um, and then develop them into, you know, potentially elite athletes. Unreal, cool. Like, I guess, um, I guess the, the underlying question is what does a trail runner need to do differently to a regular runner? And, and I mean, it might seem obvious, but what, what are you sort of looking at and aiming for with this coaching certification? The, I mean, the big obvious one is, is going to be the amount of time on feet. And so we've scoped this course specifically for kind of marathon and longer, whereas the current level three, day three and day four for middle and long distance is kind of track and field, middle distance up to the marathon. <clears throat> so that's where a bit of the, I guess, crossover happens. Uh, and, and the as you guys know too well, you know, you're on your feet for, you know, something short, quote unquote short, uh, like six foot track or, or, you know, the, the 30 K for the coastal classic. Um, those are short, but it's so different from going out and running a road race. 
uh, super kind of looking, you know, what about that, you know, three hours of, of forcing your body to operate um, all the way up to kind of single day races. So we are looking to address the 100K and probably 100 mile, um, but then that's where we stop. So multi-stage, uh, or sorry, rather multi-day races um, is outside of the scope of this course, but we will capture, you know, the UTA distances and, and death race and those kind of things. And, and anyone doing more than 100 miles probably just needs a bit more psychology rather than an actual coaching course anyway. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry. Well, that's why I've been pushing them. Yeah, that's why I've been pushing the Wolfie because I know he's got suggestions of people that he sees, so it works out well. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I've set up some counselling courses. Yeah. yeah. I try and guide them that way first. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I want to know, I mean, talking about the different sort of specifics here, why doesn't a good road runner always just automatically make a good trail runner, I suppose? Yeah, honestly, I think you guys could articulate that um, just well or better than I can. Um, but I mean, in short, you look at the road, there isn't that elevation. And so, you know, we talk about running strength and that's a simple characteristic that, that trail runners need. Um, but what I've always been fascinated in and uh, love these conversations because you dig into, you know, no joke, like the psychology, like how do you make your body hurt and want to keep going? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get up at 4 a.m. to start a race that you're not going to finish until 8 or 9 p.m. Like that's, that's, a, that's crazy, but amazing and fascinating. And so those are also some of the features that, that we're putting into the course. And it's, it's not necessarily a specific module, but it's peppered throughout of, you know, how do you work with your athlete's mental toughness? And clearly they already have a good amount of it if they're going to be getting into these long, long races. You know, how do you cultivate that? How do you help them pass these hard parts with, you know, pitch black, where you're lost, you, you know, you're getting low on, on water and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it, in terms of, you know, what, what are the things that are different from our, our road distance runners to our trail runners? Yeah, it's so multifaceted um, and, and I love it. And so as I guess thrown back to you two guys being coaches and long-term athletes yourselves, like what are the specific things you guys notice between your, you know, marathon runner and then your six-foot track runner? I reckon trail runners just like buying more kit mostly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Def- road runners definitely like fluoro. Like that's that's a real that's a real obvious. Yeah. That's you know, fluoro. They don't like being seen in fluoro. And like those A6 um, Tokyo shoes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, matching <laughs> kits, matching kits important. And um, yeah. And they prefer to dodge hills. So yeah. Yes. If we can stay, if we stay to a flat run, that's that's much more appealing. I reckon there's a real difference in quad circumference. I reckon that's a massive difference. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cross sectional area. A mile away, you know, like the split shorts are just not really an option for most trail runners because <laughs> they kind of look like underwear. <laughs> but, yeah, apart from that, pretty much the same kind of athlete, I suppose. <laughs> Tell just me. those few, no, no, yeah. just those few differences. <laughs> Never <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> Tell me why? Um, why should 
trail runners practice running on the road and the track? Yeah, uh, this is a big part of the course and it's, um, I've been finding ways to communicate this effectively uh, to trail runners that if you learn to run faster, it will be beneficial for your entire race. Uh, and so the, the great example I like giving is, you know, you've got altitude changes. Absolutely. You've got climbs, you've got descents, you're going to have to hike some, you can run others, whatever. But there will be flat parts of every race, relatively flat. And the way I look at it is that, let's say, you know, what if you could tick along at 15 seconds faster per kilometer for every single flat part of the race without trying harder? And so you, when you start looking at that, you can get a very clear number uh, of minutes that you can shave off of your times for a course, estimated, right? Um, and that's just kind of one simple example of, of training on the road and training on the track and doing the flat stuff, you know, teaching your brain to spin your legs at a given pace per kilometer that is comfortable, that is faster than, than what you can do currently. And so that's kind of the big thrust of what I like to, to communicate to runners um, who, who are doing those ultra events. Uh, the other side of it is, uh, just the you know variety and we know that the track and the road are kind of they're hard on our legs and our body but they do present a different challenge from the trail and so if you make sure that your you know monday to sunday training program is varied uh there is an element of of injury prevention uh, that you can get from running on different surfaces just like running in different shoes so you know there's so many different uh benefits and and i mean the last one quite simply it's very easy to increase your VO2 max with flat threshold runs. And yeah, they can get painful and we don't always love them, but if you want to short circuit away to jack up your VO2, your VO2 max, it's, you know, flat threshold runs are the best. And that, you know, I find is another good way to communicate to people. Very good. Um, is it a prerequisite if trail runners want to hit the track that they need to wear split shorts, fluoro singlet, shave their legs? I mean, if you don't, um, you risk all types of issues. I mean, uh, uh, getting laughed at, um, not fitting in. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, being called a wreck runner. I mean, all these things are they're very they're very real and dangerous. <laughs> Keep popping that wreck on a jive. It's killing me. Yeah. Take the buff off. Take the buff off. I did wear the buff to the track the other day, actually. I reckon the moose would have had a field day with me. Wait, you wore the buff to the track? It was damn cold. It was, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to explain myself. Come on. All right. So we've got some coaches interested in the course. So, can we clarify, is it a prerequisite that you've already done your days one and two of your level three before you can do this course? That's correct, yeah, very simply. Um, so the journey to that for let's say new coaches uh, <clears throat> can be different. So the Athletics Australia website, athletics.com.au, uh, if you click on the get involved and there's uh, coaching or, or become a coach, I forget the wording, but 
there, there's then the coaching framework, and it's a really good diagram of, of ways to uh, pathways to become a coach. So on one hand, you have the um, track and field approach. So you've got your level one community coach and your level two. And then on the other side, you have the rec running uh, approach, and there is level one and level two rec running. So those are kind of running in parallel. Uh, and, and they focus on just that, that, you know, the, the track and field side, you can get fundamentals of run, jump, throw, uh, and, and, you know, there is a fair amount of working with youth athletes because, you know, that's where the majority of our track and field athletes are across the country. And then the rec running side is everything from couch to 5k moving up to, you know, how do you design uh, a performance based uh, program for a 5, 10K and half marathon. And then the level three is where both streams join. <clears throat> and so level three is the uh, performance development coach level. And as he said, Matt, there are um, kind of two parts to it. So days one and two are again, generic in general, uh, but it's really high level stuff. Um, and I would equate it to start getting into university level education and not that you know not everyone can is capable of learning that i think it's awesome that we're putting that high quality stuff into these coaching courses so uh, you really get talks about you know how to manage your athletes from the elite down to your squads and and what uh you know how do you create positive dynamics and 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 deal with conflict, uh, then to your, you know, quote unquote, hard skills of, you know, okay, well, this is how you get a better idea of designing a sports specific strength program. So those are kind of days one and two. I've missed a few bits of content, but, but that's kind of the generic bit. And then days three and four currently, uh, I believe there are four, maybe three, this is bad. Don't tell athletics Australia, forget <laughs> coaching no, framework. We'll edit, we'll edit this. Uh, wonderful we, yeah, yeah. We always edit stuff yeah not favorably but but you'll edit it <laughs> um and so days uh days three and four there's a middle and long distance one uh which focuses on kind of your 1500 on the track all the way up to more or less your your marathon on the road uh and that's probably the closest you know further education for people at that point but that's where uh, it was clearly identified that we needed something for the ultra or sorry, for the trail and the ultra marathon groups. And so that's where this day three and four new courses is coming in. Really exciting. I reckon I, I like the uh, integration into regular athletic kind of stuff. I guess trail and ultras always seem to be like the weird sort of cousin over to the side at Christmas, but now that you blame them? get them involved. <laughs> It's good. No. Slipping in with the humans. I love it. There we go. Yeah, the norms. That, so at the moment with COVID, I mean, this, this course was an expression of interest to, to be uh, carried out in the ACT um, in October, and it's looking unlikely now. But for those interested, you know, is, is there anything on the cards for one to be run in Sydney? Um. Briefly, the one in ACT, you're right, Matt, and uh, expressions of interest are still being uh, welcomed. So if you jump on, anyone jumps on to the ACT uh, athletics website, uh, I believe that you can also find it on the athletics website. Uh, but, you know, do a Google, but we're still accepting expressions of interest <clears throat> for that 
Uh, but to answer your question, you know, it's it's tough. I sent an email today saying, you know, we're still developing the course as if we're going live at the end of October, but very aware that right now that's looking bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of courses in Sydney, um, <clears throat> Athletics Australia is going to deliver these via um, the, the team that, that is developing the course. And right now we're probably looking Victoria, ACT and Sydney. So sorry, probably around Melbourne, ACT and Sydney uh, in 2022 to run, you know, hopefully fingers crossed one in each city next year. Um, And I'm personally hoping that we can get those done, you know, earlier in the year because uh, we're also continually iterating on these things. You know, we've been sharing some of the content with uh, with a few coaches uh, connected to each of us on the team, developing the course, and we're getting great feedback. And so with that, we're just building, iterating, changing, uh, improving. And so the first course, we'll call it a pilot in the ACT, aimed for the end of October. The goal is then to go back to the drawing board, take together all the bits of feedback and notes that we've written, um, build it up into, you know, the next uh, phase or the, or the next type of, of delivery. And then from there, like I said, we'll look to roll it out to a few different cities. So unfortunately, I can't give you a clear indication. But again, my hope is that we will have, you know, more than one run in 2022. But God, there's so many factors that are getting in the way of making yeah. that happen. Oh, well, fingers crossed we, we might get that pilot going in, in October. Yeah, there's certainly no need to uh, put anything concrete down. Just ask our Premier, Prime Minister. It's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll dodge that stuff. Um, yeah. I want to ask some specifics about, uh, yeah, trail versus road sort of stuff. I guess in, in from a coaching perspective, it, it's quite easy with a flat sort of road guy to say, Go out and perform, you know, this this session at four minute ten k pace, such and such. Is this an appropriate thing to say to someone who's training on the trails, or are we looking more at uh, perception of effort, heart rate based kind of stuff? What, what what's your take there? Yeah, I think as coaches um, and the the interested athlete, uh, and briefly, we you know my my assumption is that we're going to get those really keen uh, runners. Uh, also taking this coaching course just out of interest but I mean you know with so many uh, ways to measure performance um, we're like we want to equip coaches with kind of everything that you just mentioned so really good understanding of what pacing should look like on paper with our metrics but also feel like in terms of the you know perceived exertion that you highlighted um and inside the course we have an entire module called equipment and technology and so we're doing everything from, you know, uh, my interest and experience uh, work of, of um, you know, physiological measures. So how do you interpret heart rate data and, and how do you set targets based on heart rate and those different types of things? Uh, but, you know, then we're also looking at uh, power meters uh, and what are other ways to measure quantitatively what our athletes are doing in training and then, and then eventually in a race. Uh, but then, you know, there's always like you said it best, you know, boils down to that, you know, how do you feel on the day and not to say that a race plan goes out the window uh, on race day or could, 
but you really got to be ready, especially in that trail and ultra world to, to adapt and, you know, pull an audible. And so I think that's going to be a big key that we're going to communicate to our coaches, you know, be ready or, or equip or, you know, prepare your athlete to be ready to, you know, fly by the seat of their pants for a hundred Ks, because if weather goes south, like that's, you know, that's your next 12 hours plus. Spot on. Absolutely. And, you know, every coach likes to see someone spew. <laughs> and in training, there's not much of that on the trails, but you do see a fair bit of that at the end of an ultra. Would you agree with that? That's true, actually. Yeah. And I know Jordan's a big proponent of the spew session as mm. well. That's, so. what, that's why I brought it up. You just, <laughs> oh, I, I guess you've got to pass that on. You, you've got to be a bit, the coaches, you've got to be a bit patient with your ultra runners because they've come from the road and they come to the trail, less likely to spew in the bush, but wait till they do the long races. You'll get something at the end. You'll be rewarded yeah. with your patience. Yeah, yeah, I like that reward. Listen, I feel like I have to continually caveat our, our last chat with I don't always push my athletes to throw up. <laughs> it was it probably the most happens. important part of that podcast. It's the only thing I, it's, it's the only message I took away. <laughs> that, well, that, that, that and keg stands, is it? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. All right. Good. That's good. Some, some things that you'll never get away from, right? <laughs> important stuff that's oh, good point <laughs> we, we can we talk about uh nutrition you know quickly it, i mean most people talk about ultra marathons as just uh, a, a buffet that just keeps rotating you know it, it's it, it's a food competition with a bit of running chucked in the middle of it how much time do you guys spend talking about nutrition and diet in the course yeah nutrition and hydration that module is the biggest i think um and I, we haven't you know finished it but at this juncture like the volume of information and slides and activities surrounding <clears throat> that is it seems like it's it's becoming the biggest out of all them we have uh and actually just this morning was was putting some ideas together and finishing touches so briefly about the course, uh, we're liaising with registered dietitians and nutritionists uh, with Athletics Australia. Um, so it's, you know, not just a few of us sitting in a room putting together what we think is the best nutrition um, information for our coaches. Uh, myself and another one of the, the people on the team, you know, we're <clears throat> uh, researchers. And so uh, the amount of peer-reviewed uh, information that's going into this course uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with and so in terms of you know how important is it, it we're definitely going to touch on that you know you hear not and it, I'd say you know stories but I hear too so many stories of people you know devouring a pizza at checkpoint eight whatever <laughs> that <laughs> it seems like it's you know common <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's everything from volume of calories in to support your training and race. Uh, and then, you know, how do you fit that in to pre during and post for a workout and for a race? Uh, and then right down to, you know, when do you eat, you know, you, we've heard it on this podcast and you hear other places recommendations while, well, you know, refuel when you're going uphill or, you know, refuel specifically at this point. And so we are going to explore, you know, what's the research behind all of these ideas. Uh, and at the same time, 
pulling from learned experiences of coaches and athletes with this, like I said, this iterative process of putting the course together. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's so much going on and going into that. Um, and don't you guys worry, there uh, has been chats, uh, have been chats about how does beer fit in to during race? Very important. Post race, very important. Very so. important. It fits in comfortably. <laughs> yeah. Is how it fits in. The change. <laughs> They've changed the finish line and six foot track to be at the bank hotel. That's right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I um I, I guess uh for a long period of time anyway, trail and ultra stuff has uh, the science behind it's probably been a little bit more folklore. Like people read of Dean Carnatz's book, and that's why they're eating pizza at a checkpoint, or you know, <laughs> listen to Honey Alston talk about pumpkin soup and continue to eat that before race day for the rest of their lives. But it'll be nice to um, have some science behind it and some some real collaboration on what is actually the right thing to do. Because I imagine eating a pizza at checkpoint five isn't the greatest thing you could do for your ultra career. And yeah, like, I don't know, on paper, for me, that doesn't seem like the best idea. But then, you know, you're proven wrong with people who, who do it and smash it, right? So, again, like, you got to, in this, it's got ultra running and trail running. It's just, it's the Wild West, right? Like, only only in the past maybe decade um, have, have physiologists and nutritionists, dietitians, biomechanists even, really started diving into these things in the research realm and so you know it, it you know you had your first boom of trail and ultra stuff in the 90s um and even that again it was just like ridiculous stuff you know people running around and just one pair of shoes for 10 years and doing every race and just that and you know with every you know your your guys fetish with shoes <laughs> it's uh, that I, I don't think we give cliffy young enough credit no. You know, like our, our, our first international yeah. ultramarathoner in gumboots. A gun, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Can run. And, and you can pick up those gumboots at Ranella. Just... <laughs> yeah. they're, now, they're now sandals. Uh, <laughs> speaking of shoes, we, we had a chat to uh, Ultra Trail 100 winner Matt Pillow a few weeks back. And he, he won that thing in a pair of next percent carbon-plated shoes. How, how much do you guys chat about, I guess, the difference between road shoes and trail shoes? And, and in your mind, is there much need for a difference? Um, yeah, I keep laughing here. And someone won in next percenters. And like, I'm going to go on record. Everyone wasn't the shoes that won on the race. It wasn't the shoes. <laughs> broken, I know I've broken a few hearts, but it wasn't the shoes. Um, and at the end of the day, and I think you guys chatted about this past you know, recently, that whatever you're comfortable running in, and just as long as you're confident, you're not going to roll an ankle with a super high stack like the next presenters have. And sure, if you like them, if they're comfortable, they don't give you blisters and you feel the best, do it, right? Um, back to your question about, <clears throat> what's going into the course yeah yeah we're going to talk about uh different shoes i mean there's a um there's a fun segment that uh Anne marie and i did uh in the level two rec running course uh that's an online resource now and we're just comparing different types of shoes and you know the carbon plates were getting popular this time last year and so uh you know, that will be available as a resource, but in terms of the trail specific stuff, um, it's funny, we started 
brainstorming what are we going to ask candidates to bring uh, to the course. Um, and we've agreed that, you know, if you have uh, a pack and uh, pack it with what you generally race in for, for a trail or an ultra race, uh, and the next one will probably be shoes and you know climbing poles. But we're, we started laughing that if you start opening it up to, to trail runners to bring all their kit, like you said, it's <laughs> we're not going to have room to sit in the, in the classroom. It's two days of show and tell. Yeah. Will oh, you, you actually let people come into the place with poles or will that be automatic exclusion from the course? I choose not to answer that question on uh, political things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, no, if, like, if there's stairs <laughs> at the reception, is that, okay? <laughs> is that okay to get the poles out? Uh, I think I'm gathering uh, both of your opinions on uh, polls inside. No, of no, 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 no. I'm, I'm a big poll guy. Yeah. But, um, he just took his off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, some people think it's cheating. It's, I'm not one of them, but, um, yeah, you know, there's a great divide in trail running. I think you need to address that in the course. Yeah. Now, there is, there is you know, we have video resources um, and that would be interesting to see who comes out to the course and also who listens to the podcast because I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of your audience members end up being showcased um, in the course because we found some, you know, really good online resources that people have already put together. Um, so yeah, we'll see what we're when putting putting in. But uh, yeah, like very simply, we 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 do have to put in um, the use of poles in in climbing because people do it. Right. And so, again, uh, wherever your reservations are, wherever, whatever side of that great divide you, you stand on, uh, if you're going to be a coach, you got to be able to coach anyone. Right. And, and that's the big uh, thrust of this course is that we're better preparing coaches to take anyone in and, and help them achieve their goals. Well said. Is there much research into people entering ultra marathons just to eat more? <laughs> Um, I think that's kind of like why we all get into it. Yeah. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, so to answer your question, um, no research, hundred percent anecdotal. Uh, the definitive answer is yes. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. Courage <laughs> of conviction. That's fantastic. Yeah. Should we, um, have you, if you asked enough questions about trail running I think courses, so. yeah. I, I want to talk about some Olympic stuff because, you know, there's still plenty to chat about there. Yeah. We've had a couple of people on, and obviously they have uh, I know, something to gain by being a fence sitter in these sort of situations. But I want to know about your opinion of the Russian Olympic Committee's athletes at the Games. Should they have been there? No. Good, good, good answer. Um, so I'll, yeah, no. And, and that's a personal opinion. Um, that's all we need. Have you, so uh, really cool, uh, the documentary Icarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's floating on Netflix. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen it, go watch it. It's awesome. Um, yeah. American Horrifying cyclist. though at the same time. Like. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the quick premise, American cyclist wants to, journalist wants to figure out more about doping because he's confident that the reason why he's, you know, sub-elite is that he's not doping, the other guys are. And so, like right at the beginning of the documentary dives into what does it look like if I hope and then uh, it's the most intense, like you said, Hattie, 
horrifying rabbit hole to dive into. It's crazy that that's reality. And so if that explains a lot of the IOC's decision to ban uh, Russia from first athletics and then the Olympics and uh, yeah, around what was it, 2015, 16, I think it was right before Rio, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think they're, they're still still banned as of next year. So Winter Olympics and Soccer World Cup, but then they're, they're back after that. But, you know, we're still seeing a, a bunch of athletes competing for Russia, essentially, but, you know, not Russia at the same time. I, I don't really see the distinction there, personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Like, it doesn't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's athletes who live in Russia, come from Russia, training in Russia. Um, and Russia denied everything about the accusations that they had a um, systematic doping plan that was uh, led by the government. And, and so, but again, they, you know, they were banned over that. So I, I don't understand it. I just, logically, I can't put two and two together when it comes to that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're competing. Um, they were awarded medals. Mm. I don't know if anyone set a world record, but that's reality yeah. we live in. They were there. And look, I guess I guess the next thing is the athletes with, that were there were made to sort of follow certain protocols to ensure that they hadn't been doping for, let's say, the last couple of years. I mean, I don't know <clears throat> the physiology of it exactly, but if someone's been taking a systematic doping program on board for you know, years one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then stopped for two years, are they still gaining an advantage from that initial seven years of doping? Yeah, like, I don't know. Good point. But I think then you have a simple look at our swimming friend from China, Song Yang, and he disappeared, fell off the podium. Uh, and, you know, you can guess one way or the other, but all of a sudden you go from setting world records and being the best 1500 and 400 swimmer in the world to absolutely not at the drop of a hat. Mm. Maybe there isn't a cumulative effect, uh, assuming that maybe he might've been doping, but who knows? Inconclusive, right? Well, no, we can say what we want on this show. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, you don't? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're, we're heavily, heavily anti-Russian Olympic Committee. Good. And, and the, the other thing that um, Andrew Murphy wouldn't sort of go into the other day because his wife has an Italian passport is how have the Italians become a powerhouse of international sprinting all of a sudden? Can you shed any light onto that? Yeah, I, I can't. Murph, Murph would be a better guy to, to uh, speak to that. Um it's exciting, you know, to, to see. And so uh, with all this talk about, about doping, I, I don't know. I don't want to say that everyone at the top is doping um, because it's, you know, it's Santa Claus for me. Uh, so um, I don't know. I, there are examples of um, smart decisions at high performance levels for national sport organizations uh, that have been made that resulted in Olympic medals. I think you look at, um, and <laughs> whether you agree that Great Britain should be, you know, multiple countries or, or they should break up, but if you look at Great Britain uh, going into London um, with what they did in those, you know, eight years leading up to London was great. Mm -hmm. they, they did it. 
right? They injected smart decisions into their Olympic sports and their programs. Uh, and, you know, they won medals where they had never had a chance in, in the past. So that is an example, who knows, you know, maybe, maybe Italy has made very smart decisions, but you're right. You, and it's funny hearing the commentary on channel seven, like, who is this guy's from Italy? What's Italy in, in sprinting, right? Uh, I don't know. It's pretty cool to watch. I just want to touch on the UK uh, resurgence. And can we just call it injecting a whole bunch of money and a bunch of Australian coaches into the mix? Or... <laughs> I don't know. Can we? <laughs> well, I just did. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we had... No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Speaking of uh, people who aren't doping uh have you ever seen a more dominant performance in a an event than what kipchoge put forward uh the other day <laughs> uh man it's that was so cool that that was awesome again that's santa claus to me he's clean that's that's <laughs> that's what i'm i go to sleep thinking man it, it's and and again the commentary i think the commentary was was uh exceptional at these olympics compared to previous ones that we've we've watched i thought it was well balanced um that's just me but so the just the commentary about you know who is the goat of distance running and marathon and they were saying that you know if he doesn't win this olympics you can't you can't call him it and then he did and she like that push of the pace that he put in at 30k was nuts like that that just it it broke the tore the field apart and it broke my brain watching how amazing that was, right? Um, yeah, it was it was so cool. And so it's yeah, entertaining. Yeah, amazing. Drugs will do that. Um, <laughs> should we move on from the Olympics? Oh, I've got one more. I've got okay. one more Olympic okay. question. I want to know, I mean, tying, tying things together, trail and ultra running, uh, how do you envisage that they might fit into the Olympics in, in the future? Yeah, I've been saying this bit KG uh, to a few people. I would love, would love to see uh, a trail or ultra event at an Olympics. And uh, for political reasons, I don't think it'll happen in 2032. Um, the host country generally pops in events they'll probably win medals in. And not to say that Australia wouldn't. Um, I just don't know if this sport, this event is on the... Australian Olympic Committee radar well enough to, to make it happen. But yeah, God, I would love to see uh, trail at the Olympics um, and, and what that ends up looking like. I think it might be, and Matt, you and I spoke about this at a run, um, how funny it'd be if you just have like a bunch of obstacles inside of a, a stadium <laughs> and have them, you know, around the outside and then into the inside of the track. I don't know. But man, that, that would be so cool uh but i don't know i don't know if it'll happen um the getting an event at the olympics you have to have a certain number of national sport organizations devoted to it around the world so the benefit of ultra and tr sorry trail and ultra is that generally your um athletics national sport organization governs that generally and so you probably get the numbers up and make an argument there uh the other side because, you know, the, the Olympics in terms of adding events, it is based on mass participation, 
And so you look at sports like Surf Lifesaving has struggled because not enough countries around the world have a national sport organization or then access to craft um, that's specific to the sport. So with Ultra, yeah, it, you know, it kind of ticks that box. And then the big thing is, and I don't know the, the politics around this, but I would assume, would assume that, you know, viewership is a big thing as well. Hence BMX and skateboarding and surfing being introduced because people love watching that stuff. And, you know, there's money in advertising. It. Um, we won't make arguments about how fantastic those horse athletes are um, as to why certain other uh, sports are still in, but there are then the tradition there's the, then the tradition side of including certain events in the Olympics that I think will be very hard to break. Um, but anyway, that's, thank you for my TED talk. Beautiful animals. Uh. <laughs> well, look, I, I enjoy uh, watching fencing as much as the next guy, but that sport is over. Like that's enough of the fencing and bring on the ultra trail running. Um, look, I mean, world, world cross country gets massive participation and like, it's, it's an incredible kind of race. Like, I don't know why ultras, you know, slightly longer cross-country running wouldn't work particularly well. So I think that's a good point that um, if, and I don't know who they are, but if they wanted to put together an argument that ultra, or, or sorry, let's call it trail, right? If they, if they want to put an argument for trail being included in the Olympics, um, I think you would have to go with, um, yeah, there's the, the mass organization uh, 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 participation, but I also think it's what is, what are people going to run and, and pay attention to? So we've got the marathon. That's, I don't know, the Olympic record is for, for the men, but let's say you're going to sit in front of the, TV for two hours and 15 minutes mm -hmm. and for the women, you know, it's, it's two and a half hours, right? So you know that you can have a captive audience for that period of time. So what trail event distance fits into that, but is significantly different from the marathon. So does that look like a 15 K, you know, up Mount Fuji and down a few times to get that captive audience, uh, I don't know, uh, but that would be, I think, the strategic way into getting a trail event, running event into the Olympics. Mm. They could have just run around the mountain biking course. That's right. Or alternatively, just run a sixteen-day event that just spans the entire Olympic Games. I think that would have the viewers on twenty-four hours. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> actually, could you imagine? Like, oh, we're watching the, the swimming. It was fantastic what McKeon's done. But now we're going to flash to these guys and girls who are eight days in and they're almost halfway. <laughs> That's right. And eating a pizza at checkpoint five. <laughs> they actually started with the flame 30 days ago. <laughs> All right, so, um, mate, congratulations on the new role with Macquarie Uni. Can you tell us a bit about your research with uh, wearable devices and artificial intelligence? Can we take a TV timeout so I can uh, use the facilities? <laughs> Absolutely. We'll edit this. 
No, of course you would. Yeah, it was a it was a big move, a big decision to leave the University of Sydney. Um, but uh, I felt like I kind of grew my role um, as a lab manager, and there are just a few things that <clears throat> I wanted to start exploring. Uh, so found this opportunity, three-year postdoc at Macquarie University um, in, like you said, wearables and, and different technology. So jumped on or applied and yeah, I was lucky enough to be offered the position. So um, the project is, as you said, working with military populations uh, and the overarching idea is to find ways to monitor uh, injury or well, training load. Uh, and performance, and sorry, my son is just watching. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Hi, buddy. Hey, what do you got there? Oh, that's nice. Wow, looks like you just had a little bit of a bath. Look at that. Listen, uh, where, where does the artificial intelligence fit in? That's you've got my interest there. Uh, with with him? No, no. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the, the artificial intelligence, um, it's this, you know, weird, big thing that, uh, that just seems like magic, but uh, really, I've been uh, just really trying to um, pull back the veil of, of, you know, it isn't magic, and, and there are, you know, specific steps to it. So you might hear machine learning, neural networks, machine vision, you know, just a bunch of these different things. Uh, and essentially, <clears throat> taking a bunch of variables that are known, and then having an output variable. And so let's say in a running race, if you hit your lap times at a consistent, let's say, uh, that two minutes per 400, that's five minute pace. And so if you take consistent splits, you know that your outcome is gonna be a 20 minute 5K. So you have a bunch of these input variables being your split times and a known output variable, which is your end of your race. And so if you have a bunch of variability around those, and so you, know, you use five minute race pace, five minute K race pace, well, let's get kind of what is a, you know, 448 or, or a 513. Um, and so you get a bunch of these different data points to input, and then you're going to have your known output essentially through a bunch of iterative equations. You're going to get an idea of what are the associations amongst all of these input variables that define or can predict your output variable. And then you quote unquote train a neural network or a model that understands all of these connections and the variability. From there, you put in brand new data. So a bunch of new split times that the model that you trained has never seen before and you test it to see how well that model can use those input variables to predict the output. And so as a, I guess as a better example is let's take a bunch of different split times at each of the checkpoints for six foot track. And then you have the output variables at the end. So people are going to go different speeds. People are going to hit the walls at different times. But let's say you have thousands and thousands of runners at these different checkpoints within the race. 
Well, let's take, you know, 10 years of those data, train up a model, and then from 2022, you collect or, or, or you measure people's uh, splits at the first half of the checkpoints. Your model should then be able to use those input data and then predict what their finish time is going to be based on the information of all of those other runners before them. And we're pretty lucky, I guess, with that particular race, funnily enough, that there is that much data that they can kind of predict exactly where you're going to come from. Um, what, what kind of outcomes are you hoping to achieve with the, with the, the subjects? Yeah, so the, the troops that we'll be working with, essentially we're, we're just looking to measure anything and everything that could contribute to them having an injury. Mm -hmm. So we've got, uh, like you said, a bunch of wearable devices. So the, the typical ones that you look um, recommended uh, in the literature, you're going to have heart rate, you're going to have accelerometers. Um, there are a few different uh, groups that have used like body temperature. Uh, and so we're really looking to put as many different measuring devices onto our troops during their trainings. Uh, and so they have, you know, specific events of different marches that they have to do and different courses, uh, but then also just kind of day to day. And so once we get uh, all of these data and, and it's massive, it's massive, uh, the amount of data that we end up grabbing, uh, we're going to then have uh, uh you know, not, not just throw everything into a mixing pot and hope for the best. Uh, we're going to have, uh, you know, a directed bunch of, uh, not guesses, but hypotheses, you know, um, so that, you know, there's a very good idea or chance that these relate with that and could predict this. Okay, well, let's put those into a model uh, to better understand what the relationships are. So that then in the future, you know, let's say, partway through training camp, you can identify like, ooh, this person based on these 10 variables are starting to get into our red zone of injury risk. Well, we can come in and modify that so they don't get injured. Sure, I like it. There's a lot of buzz buzz around the heart rate variability sort of uh, metric at the moment in terms of performance and uh, I guess injury risk as well. Is, is that one of the, the things you're looking at? It is, yeah. Uh, some of my colleagues out of uh, Portugal um, who are working in a similar sphere, uh, heart rate variability is one of the specific ones that, that they found um, could be a predictor of injury. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. So looking at, you know, applying to runners, especially in the, in the trail and the ultra world, these kind of things can be very useful. Um, so many coaches that I spoke to uh, at, you know, the elite level, they get their athletes to check their heart rate when they wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a few numbers that, you know, if it's any more than 10 beats per minute above what your typical average is, it's a good indication that your body might start be getting sick. And so, you know, we're all of a sudden in a, in a down volume, down intensity week, uh, to avoid getting sick and the benefits of not getting sick significantly outweigh the detriments of missing, you know, two or three training sessions. Mm. And so th these kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, pre um, predictive variables or predictive models to try to guess when injury might start happening. Cause you know, we can't predict the future. 
But what we can do is monitor the different risk factors associated with injury. And so we can keep people healthier longer. And, you know, the number one thing, number one indicator of performance um, is the low number of days missed. Yeah, for sure. So prevent injury and illness. Um, Look, preparing for the interview, I checked out your biography, your research papers, prizes, grants, but there's nothing about your Strava segments. What's what's the go there? Like, sh- shouldn't you have that with your profile? Yeah, listen, a few years ago, it would have been beneficial and it probably would have would have got me a raise. No. <laughs> um, someone's been going around and sniping all my uh, uh, segments. Not going to say down in any specific area, but we lived in Helensburg for a year. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really have any crowns i don't think do you have who's been taking it down jordan he's he's been yeah he, someone i don't know I, uh-huh. yeah i i get an email every now and again and said so-and-so's you know taking your crown and, and i think this guy's got a lot of them it's so like you know uh i commented a few times like oh great work man great run like, the gavitron just flag him he's on a mountain bike that's horseshit the gavitron <laughs> You know what? It isn't the Gavitron, and and met him. Nice dude. Uh, and I, I assumed that you know we would have gone for a run together. But now this you know, guys are doing great. That's for sure. So, Dr. Anderson, you earned your PhD at the University of Sydney, <laughs> developing guidelines for swimming, specific dry land training, um, and you're looking at activity patterns in the front crawl swimming. So we know the front crawl swimming as freestyle, um, but it's also known as the Australian crawl. Do you think the 80s band has used that name from, from the swimming technique? Yeah, I mean, how else would they have got it? <laughs> Very good point, Jordan. <laughs> well, and, and, and turn it to a non-rhetorical question. Uh, as a foreigner, yeah. I've only been here for six years. So Australia crawl, where, where's the name from? Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah. when, <laughs> when you were looking into that, were you thinking, oh, that's an obvious choice for a band? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, that's why I came to Australia when I said, listen, we're going to better understand the Australia crawl. They're like, yeah, accepted. Yeah. Bring this guy over. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have been disappointed when I started talking about swimming. Swimming. That's, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> not not the song Reckless, which everybody loves. Um, should we talk about hula hoops? Yeah. I, I've been looking into the research as well. No. And, uh, I, I'd like to know what you can tell us about the six-week trial of hula hooping using a weighted hoop and the effects on skin, skin fold, girts, weight, and torso muscular endurance. And what's your PB? <laughs> things, things that you will never get away from in your life. All right. So... We were commissioned, yes, all right. I co-authored a publication looking at the effects of a weighted hula hoop on uh, basic measures of body composition, a few other things, it happened. Um, Yeah, all right, this is gonna be good. Here's a story time. Uh, So we were approached by a private company that had this weighted hula hoop. It was like, it was heavy, it was like five kilos um, that, uh, had had these nubs on the inside, and the idea is that 
they would stimulate abdominal muscle activity and and uh, expedite fat loss and all these things. And so we're like, yeah, those are interesting claims. Let's see, let's see what it's about. And so uh, <laughs> I spent months. I did a pre-test doing a bunch of torso endurance measures, like the static V-SID, um, front plank, side plank, a bunch of different things, as well as skinfold measurements on uh, basically middle-aged women from a local health center. We, we've uh, run out of time. Yeah. Um, thanks, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> I'm joking. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it gets better. Uh, so, did a pretest, did a post test around, yeah, this six week trial. So, the six week trial was like an exercise class, like 45 minutes once a week with these hulus. So, we kind of gave them out to all the participants. They got comfortable using them, said, okay, great. We're going to be. I don't even remember what it is, 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning at the local health club. Yours truly was the fitness instructor with my exercise physiology accreditation to run an exercise class for 25 uh, women from this health club. So I had a playlist all set up, banging some tunes, and I led a hula, weighted hula hoop exercise class for six weeks um there are pictures i think unfortunately actually in the publication of me up front of this class uh, um so maddie to your your question what is my pb um i got up to five minutes using this weighted hula hoop with these things digging into my front side and back um, before I finally stopped because it was sore. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's the, that's that. So was the, uh, the outcome of the study to suggest that it was much more efficient to have a pretty sizable muffin top before you started hooping? <laughs> no, so it didn't matter that, that you know, what your um, makeup coming in was that, all the women said it took them kind of two weeks and it was sore. Uh, and a few of them had bruises, but then it was fine. And so it was just like getting used to using this hula hoop. Um, and again, it didn't really matter what your body composition makeup was. Um, but uh, I believe if you look into the paper, uh, we showed that there was um, almost significant decrease in in uh, subcutaneous adipose tissue so your muffin top uh, as you elegantly put it Addy uh, which is pretty cool you know six weeks and and they were told you know keep doing life uh, six weeks we found that we could decrease waste fat um, in participants at a health club so I thought it was a worthwhile study Thank you very much. Oh, that's, no. a, that's amazing. That's and, amazing. I, and I'm glad you've uh, introduced it into the, the trail and ultra running course. Yes. That's fantastic. It's it's all of day, two, day four, let me tell you. I won't, I won't bring up the Simon Says study. That was, but that's another. It wasn't me. That's yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, mate, I think we've covered all the big topics. 
Um, <laughs> You're going to end on hula hooping. You're going to end on. So. I think so. I well, think you know. I guess if if people want to learn more about hula hooping and you? trail and ultra running, where should they look? Where would they find you? Where would they? All right. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is Anderson Science. I've been trying as a academic i've been told that it's good for my career to be more active so anderson science s-e-n on anderson on twitter uh if you check out um uh it's gonna be nerdy research gate all my stuff up there mm-hmm. uh, i got a profile on the macquarie university website um yeah i'm really not that fun uh on on the socials uh but uh yeah, that's kind of where all the research stuff comes out. Um, still running Thrive Physiotherapy and Performance. So we're on Facebook. Uh, really cool, actually. During lockdown, one of our senior runners suggested we run a weekly core program. And so we're doing that via Zoom at, what's that, 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. Anyone's willing, you're welcome to join. Uh, it's just a fun little, you know, bit of connection in this disconnected world. That's good. But you've actually, um, you've got a human performance seminar that people can, can tap into. That's coming up on Tuesday, the 7th of September. Can, can the listeners all get in on that? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for reminding me. So that is uh, advertised on my Twitter page. Uh, and so there's a, there's a QR code and link there. Uh, that's actually going to be pretty cool. We have, um, there are four of us presenting. Uh, and one of the other guys is actually chatting about wearable devices uh, specifically in running to to change technique, so that will be worthwhile to tune into. Um, yeah, like I said, Anderson S E N Anderson Science on Twitter. Um, the information is there. Okay, excellent. I just didn't want to finish on hula hoops. Oh, I brought it up again. We should um, maybe we'll put the link in the show notes. That's yeah. that'll be a that'll be a big step for us. We'll put, yeah, and we'll put yeah. it. We should put on Insta too. Yeah, we'll do that too. We'll yeah. plug. We'll plug your. Uh, we'll plug your stuff. Yeah. What would I do without you guys? A mm. lot is the answer. It's, a, <laughs> it's hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to imagine, mate. Uh, thank you for your time on a Friday night. It's been spectacular. I, I hope you've enjoyed the Cronulla Co XBA. Yeah. Um, no, I think you got. I think you got the hazy. That was the four pack that you got. It was the hazy. Oh yeah, the gluten free hazy. Uh, yeah. They did a special. Yeah, four cans for me. That's it. <laughs> All right, man. Um, thanks, thanks for your time. Good chatting to you. See you on the trail. Thanks, guys. See ya. Take care. See you, mate.